So, Godzilla minus one? Um, it rules. That's it. That's the review. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. And today I'm going to talk to you about my experience seeing Godzilla minus one. It's kind of a review. It's kind of a discussion. But really, I just kind of wanted to talk about what I thought about the movie. It's a kind of a review. Um, but really, I just kind of I, I, I you heard it in the cold open. This movie rules, and I, I'm really excited about it, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, but I, I have to put up the same disclaimer that I think you've seen from just about every other review of Godzilla Minus One, whether it's in print or in podcast or on YouTube or whatever, where the host kind of comes out with their arms stretched out. And it's like, hey, guys, I'm going to review Godzilla minus one. But uh, I'm not a fan of Godzilla. I'm a I you know, I'm, I'm just a I'm just a, a movie fan. So I'm going to I'm going to give my review kind of from from that perspective. And really, that that's kind of my take as well. I like Godzilla. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the, the, the concept and the allegory and who doesn't love a giant monster stomping on the hapless people of, uh, Tokyo. Um, I've, I've seen, uh, some of the American movies and, and can comment on that. But really, th- this, this was a, uh, podcast that I was kind of stuck on for a sec um, because knowing that I'm not a super fan that kind of put me behind like what what could I possibly say about this movie that would be worthwhile to people that are fans of this franchise felt a little disingenuous but then um, I, I, you know, I, I put that out on Twitter and I got some really good advice from Killing Spree. He, he was like, well, you know, just compare and contrast this movie with the others. And I thought that was um, uh, good enough of a jumping off point as any. Um, like I've seen some of the movies and I, I can kind of talk about the, the comparison from from that perspective. But really what that unlocked is that. I just really love this movie. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, and I think from that perspective alone, that gives me reason enough to want to talk about it um, here with you. So if you are a Godzilla fan, um, super fan or otherwise, um, I, I'm, I don't know if this review will be in the best of service 
uh, to you specifically. Uh, but if you're a fan of the stuff that I do and uh, uh, like my takes on things, then um, uh, th- th- then you're kind of in the in the right place. Um, later on in the podcast, when we get towards the end, I'm going to talk about some of the other stuff I've been up to lately. Haven't really been uh, doing a whole lot of content on this channel, um, but I've been doing some other stuff with some other friends in a couple different places uh, that I'm excited about that um, I would like to talk about. Um, I've also got some stuff kind of, well, it's not in the can. It's, uh, well, whatever the the... Um, equivalent would be of, oh, okay, well, think about it like as like, uh, think of podcasting as like a, a meal preparation. I've got all the ingredients. So it's like, I, I've, I've got, I've got a roast. Um, I just kind of need to, um, well, actually, the roast has kind of been cooked. I just need to cut it up. There it is. That's what, oh, and it, and there, there's an editing analogy too with, you know, cutting stuff up. Um, I've, I've recorded, a lot of stuff lately and I just need to find the the time and energy and opportunity to uh, uh cut some of that into more into a more digestible meal uh to get some stuff out on the Mike Cyber uh radio feed uh but we'll uh, as I said we'll talk about that um in due course so I just I just don't want to disappoint uh fans of the franchise because the the other thing I've discovered that's very interesting is that I have a lot of friends that are Godzilla fans and I've really found that the Venn diagram between Godzilla fans and Transformers fans is the same shape and color as the Venn diagram between uh, Transformers fans and Friday the 13th fans. Now, I don't know if you could add those three circles together with uh, Godzilla, Transformers, and Friday the 13th. I don't know how much overlap uh, there is there, but uh, there, there is something about Transformers fans that, that also make them predisposed to be Godzilla fans, but also to make them be uh, Friday the 13th fans. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's interesting. So, as I said, I, I, don't, I don't know enough of the subtlety and nuance between uh the the movies like you know like I can't I can't quote chapter and verse between the the contrasting like the Showa era to the Heisei era to the Millennium era and now the Raiwa era uh which I think is just Shin Godzilla, which I, I finally got around to watching last year after uh, so many of my friends really trying to push that on me, saying like, hey, man, you really need to watch that Shin Godzilla. And they were right. Shin Godzilla is pretty cool. There there are folks that that say that Shin Godzilla is better than Godzilla minus one. I don't I'm not in that camp. I found Shin Godzilla to be a little slow for my taste, a little a little ponderous. But I've also learned recently that that's that that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Apparently, uh, Shin is kind of a a branding um, of sorts. Like there's like Shin Ultraman and uh, and others kind of in that category. Again, honestly, I don't I don't know a whole lot about it um, uh, other other than that. But like so again, just, uh, you know, you, you could please feel free. And and leave comments and interact with me, but but just know it's like I'm I'm not trying to 
be disingenuous and come across as having some depth of fandom that I don't like there's I mean, I've I could probably count on one hand the amount of movies that I've seen and that most likely includes the American ones. So, um, in fact, actually, why don't I start there? I'll, I'll kind of talk about the uh, some of the roots of my Godzilla fandom. Um, it, it's interesting because I was just thinking about this uh, uh, the other day. I have a, a buddy of mine that um, I knew back in middle school. And he found me on Facebook and we've been we've been kind of uh, texting back and forth uh, recently on Messenger. And the thing that really united us in in our eighth grade friendship was Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but that that show was so foundational for my personality and my sense of humor and anybody who has ever been in a room with me. Uh, knows that I just cannot stop making commentary and comments and being uh, snarky and smart mouthed. And it's, it, it's really um, kind of informed a lot of the fabric of, uh, of the stuff I, I, I kind of do here. Um, but I bring that up because I think one of my first encounters with Godzilla Outside of being a kid and seeing, you know, the Godzilla movies running on Saturday afternoons on uh, KSTW uh, Channel 11 uh, was the now iconic uh, Godzilla versus Megalon episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, If you don't know that title, you'll surely know the ballad of Jet Jaguar. Well, for all of you folks who do not speak Japanese, we've translated the Jet Jaguar fight song so that you can sing along. I'd tell you to follow the bouncing ball, but uh, we don't have one. Roll that puppy, Cambot. That's a goofy ass movie and it's ripe for the the MST3K uh, treatment. But I think that kind of informed some of my taste of what a Godzilla movie is, how it looks and how it feels and uh, Godzilla's interaction with other characters, you know, being uh you know mostly heroic teaming up with with other characters and just aggressively bad visual effects you know a dude running around in a suit and you could see the zipper on the back that um uh that kind of thing so 
that that I think was kind of sort of my my first taste of uh of Godzilla and I I even remember when I was later in my teens I came across a box set of various Godzilla movies I couldn't tell you what a darn one of them was but I um I bought the box set and I don't know if I even got through all of the movies there was maybe a half dozen movies in there I probably got the box set for like 20 bucks or something like that used um but what I learned is that that era of Godzilla movies is just really not my taste I I don't I don't have the appetite for it I don't really have the interest for it and kind of divorced from the mystery science theater humor of it I just I I just found it kind of boring and uh lacking so I didn't really uh uh pick up on on Godzilla uh for for the most part. Uh fast forward to last Thursday when a friend of mine from work who is actually a huge Godzilla fan, a super fan I might even say, they have the uh, uh Shout Factory box set uh, they they showed up to the screening uh, wearing a, a Gamera T-shirt, and uh, there there were four of us in total, all from work. So you know we we went on a, a Thursday evening after work to uh, the the old Cinnabar in Mount Lake Terrace, which is one of the earliest of those types of uh, bar slash restaurant slash movie theater. Um, we don't have Alamo Draft House up here in the Pacific Northwest, um, but we do have IPIC, which is kind of like the more premium version of it, where you have like the you know the full leather reclining seats and you know full service bar and restaurant, and they bring stuff out to you. You know, you've got like little tables and stuff. Um, Cinnabar kind of splits the difference, and actually, I. I Man, I didn't want to go on a whole tangent about Cinnabar, but like I, uh, um, Cinnabar and Mount Lake Terrace used to be an old Regal movie theater. And it was one of the movie theaters that I went to, uh, in my junior and senior year of high school when like I, uh, had my own car and can, you know, was kind of a master of my own destiny. And I, uh, went on one of my first dates at a at, at at that place. I you know I I I touched a lady on her leg at the uh, at 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 that movie theater and had some great times with uh, with friends as well. A buddy of mine worked at the theater, and I uh, remember he would get us in for like Thursday night screenings, like staff screenings, and it's so weird because like now. Um, as an adult, I get like press screenings and like advanced viewings and stuff. So this, this predated that it was all like, um, uh, staff viewings basically to run the print through to make sure that it looked okay. Um, uh, that kind of thing. So I, I had a, I had a lot of foundational late, uh, teenage memories, um, attached to this old Regal theater and I hadn't been there in over 20 years um, you know, I, I live in a, in a very different part of town and then, um, I don't, I even remember how long ago, but they, they converted it from a regal to an independently owned theater that they called Cinnabar, uh, 
completely gutted it, you know, tore out all the carpet. Um, all, all of the decor was uh, completely different. And um, it, it was weird going back there because, like, ha- have you ever been back to a place that you've been before that you recognize? You know, like the bones, the structure, the walls, the doors, you know, everything is where you remember it to be. But the walls are are painted different, uh, painted a different color. The the decorations are different. Movie posters are different. Uh, the 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 carpet is gone and the floor is painted black. You know, it, it's like you know the, this weird like you know dark black, dark gray. You know, kind of weird brutalist Art Deco uh, type of thing, as opposed to being kind of a more uh, uh, candy colored regal with like you know, maroon carpets and, and whatnot. So it was so starkly different, but still kind of the same because like all the screens are still in the same place. So it's like, I looked down the middle and saw auditorium one. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, um, uh, that's where I, um, I, 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 I took my girlfriend at the time on a date to go see the crow and, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's like, you know, all that weird, like sensory memory, uh, kind of, kind of came back to me, but, um, I apologize. I, I think I was trying to explain what Cinnabar was and got bogged down with what it used to be. Uh, basically like, so, so there's, there's leather kind of seats, not necessarily like, like you can, you can scooch back in them, but they're not like luxury recliners with like foot stools or anything like that. But there's, there's a, a bar, a, a table, if you will, in front of you to put your your drinks and snacks and whatever, and they have a full service bar and um, and snacks. So I so I got like a crispy chicken sandwich, uh, some kind of uh, uh, Jim Beam cherry themed. All, all the drinks have like themes to them. Also, in fact, all the menu items have themes to them. So anyway, I you know j- this is just to kind of like color the experience a little bit because. Um, I think my imbibing also kind of, uh, influenced my experience as well. And, and I'll go even further back. I had the opportunity to pre-funk a little bit. Uh, there, there's a, uh, family Mexican restaurant across the way in the parking lot. And that I do remember from my late teens. Uh, um, it's a, it's a Mazatlan now. It may have been like a La Hacienda or a Puerto Vallarta, or a Las Margaritas, or or an Azteca, or whatever. Um, no, it was always a, it, it was always like an Azteca, uh, knockoff. But anyway, I um, I I, I it was a Thursday night when my Seattle Seahawks were playing the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and so uh, two of our friends are not Seahawks fans, and then uh, my other buddy is. So he and I went over. Uh, and watched the third quarter of the game. Had uh, had some chips, had some salsa, and uh, and a couple beverages. I may or may not have crushed a margarita before my buddy showed up, and then had a, a, a crisp, delicious Pacifico uh, when uh, when he arrived. So so I'm already I'm already kind of I'm already kind of on my feet, uh, floating on my feet, floating a little bit as a. Um, as I meet up with uh, with my buddies, I get this this uh, whiskey drink, and we're kind of off to the races. And I don't know what to expect from this movie. I I am there for friendship, 
you know, again, my my buddy is a is a Godzilla fan. He invited us to go out for a mandate. And uh, again, I, I choose friendship. Um, so to me, um, it didn't matter if the movie was going to be any good or not. I was going to have fun uh, regardless because I was uh, I was drinking my full face off um, having a, having crispy chicken sandwich and hanging out with my friends. Now, I've uh, I've gotten this deep into uh, the episode and uh, um, I, I've recently had a uh, one of my good friends comment as like a subtweet, not referring to any of my episodes at all, but like saying like, yeah, man, I, I can't stand a movie review podcast that doesn't even summarize the movie. So um, I, I've gotten this far and I haven't really told you what Godzilla minus one is about. And from there, I'll kind of talk about what I thought this movie was. Um, and that notion even changed while I was watching it. All I knew about this movie going in, I hadn't seen a trailer. And um, if you have not seen the trailer for Godzilla minus one, and if you have any inkling of going to the, the theater to see it, I would recommend that you skip the trailer. The trailer is good and it doesn't spoil anything, but I think having watched the trailer now after I've seen the movie and having a podcast like this, um, it, it does kind of give you a better sense of what the movie actually is um, that I didn't have going in. I, I went in pretty much as cold as possible. All I knew is that it was uh, the, the first Japanese live action Godzilla movie uh since since Shin Godzilla in 2016. Um so that that's really all I knew uh what to expect. But basically what what the story is in a nutshell and normally you could say well it's just a Godzilla movie, you know, what what is there to really talk about and what to, you know, is there stuff to spoil uh you know, you know, that kind of thing. But basically it, it follows uh, Japan at the end of World War Two, and it goes from 1945 to 1947. So it kind of covers a uh, span of time and it follows this group of characters that have been affected by. Uh, not specifically Godzilla, but but certainly the trauma of war and its viewpoint of post-war Japan is uh, incredibly affecting and and sobering. Uh, the main character is a failed kamikaze pilot who due to his inaction kind of uh, causes the Godzilla disaster in a way. Um, and if you've seen the movie, you, you, you probably cock an eyebrow and, and, uh, and th that's kind of like an interesting interpretation on my part of the events. But basically the movie follows this uh, group of misfits these uh, post-war rejects as they uh, crew a boat 
uh, working for the government, uh, hoping to better their lives, uh, collecting uh, naval mines from the from out of the ocean. Uh, the main character has a uh, discovers a found family of sorts as he returns home to find his um, his hometown completely destroyed uh, in air raids and uh, uh, connects with a young woman who has adopted a young child whose parents were killed in the air raids and the three of them kind of become a found family. Uh, but the for me, the engine that makes it go is the relationship between the guys on the boat. You know, the the uh, camaraderie and the struggles and challenges and development and growth that they all go through together as they bond. Um, that in itself is its own movie. Basically, this is a meditation, rumination, uh, examination of post-war Japan. And then Godzilla shows up. <laughs> so I, I think that's kind of the um, uh, uh, kind of the, the, the way to kick it off. But basically um, this uh, at, at a time where Hollywood blockbusters are over bloated with, uh, you know, with, with the cinematic universes and and swollen budgets, you know, it's like you've got like like a a. Mission Impossible movie that cost over $200 million, an Indiana Jones movie that cost over $300 million. The Marvels, you know, cost over $200 million. You have Disney animated movies like Wish that are, that, you know, cost over $200 million. That kind of seems to be, I mean, I, I remember uh, when I was a kid and like a movie that was over $100 million was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, big, like, mega budget mega tentpole movie and now 200 it seems to just kind of be like the the go-to um it was refreshing to watch a movie that emphasized uh story and heart and character development while also delivering a, a scope and scale it's a uh, it's a magnificent movie, and I, I found myself more deeply affected than than I would have anticipated. So Godzilla Minus One is the kickoff to the 70th anniversary celebration of the Godzilla franchise. And as I said, it's the first live-action Godzilla movie uh, to come out of Japan since uh, uh, 2016. You know, the first Godzilla came out in 1954, and uh, yeah, this is kind of the the kickoff to the uh, 70 years of Godzilla anniversary extravaganza. Um, I I don't know if I'm by myself on this because I, I've read some other reviews, but I haven't really done like deeper dives. Like like I haven't. Uh, checked out uh, the uh, Safubi sit down uh, live stream. Um, had had a you know uh, you know Safubi Samurai had a had a huge panel of like you know six people and stuff, 
And and I know all those folks are like huge Godzilla fans. I don't know if I'm quite ready for that. I wanted to get this out before I started com- uh, consuming other stuff. I've I've read some national uh, reviews, but haven't really watched a lot of YouTube stuff. I wanted to kind of be as um, I I don't know a, a clear headed and have the opportunity to kind of kind of form my own opinions uh, before I started consuming. Uh, too much content from uh, from some of my friends. Um, so one of my weird takes for Godzilla minus one is uh, I, I feel like the story is somewhat of a uh, reimagining or retelling of the original Godzilla movie from 1954. I don't feel like it's specifically a remake. I don't think it's a reboot. Um. Because it it follows some of the same story beats as Godzilla from 1954. Um, but even as it draws inspiration from some of the other movies in the series, it kind of does its own thing. So I I I kind of like fumbled in the dark thinking that like, I don't know, maybe this was like like a a companion piece of sorts to 1954. But like, I think maybe it's the flip side of the coin of Shin Godzilla, where Shin Godzilla is meant to be like a, a standalone reboot type of thing. And maybe this is kind of like a standalone reboot. Um, that, that may or may not be a kickoff to a universe or, or whatever. Um, but a lot of the the storytelling and the themes are, uh, in, in my opinion, from what I've seen, kind of original and unique to Godzilla minus one, uh, focusing primarily on the on these human characters. And I, I talked about before that this gang of misfits they're they're charged with disposing of uh, navy mines at the end of World War Two. These guys, their their uh, their friendship again is is kind of the engine that makes it go, and it's it's um, incredibly endearing. The cast is terrific. Um, you know, kind of breathing vivid life into quite frankly what's usually just one dimensional characters. Um, like when when was the last time you saw a a monster movie or a disaster movie where like the human characters have like depth? and agency and angst. Um, the, the, these are some of the, the most fleshed out characters. And I I've seen in a, in a story like this, um, possibly ever, but certainly in quite, um, quite a while. I personally, I, I, I was not expecting to be so invested in the stories and their struggles. And I wasn't prepared for the depth of those themes that are presented through the character's humanity. Like this movie has a lot to say about a lot of stuff, you know, about, uh, you know, honor and bravery and, and grief and trauma, um, you know, cowardice and, and redemption and existential dread uh, juxtaposed with declining national pride and, you know, how a nation uh, uh, comes back after getting their teeth kicked in in a in a world war and the 
the the depth of the poverty to where you know uh the the government of Japan was so poor that they couldn't afford ammunition and that that's why they they uh, utilized kamikaze pilots so it's like it, it's saying a bunch of different stuff and um obviously the 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 trope of a found family that I am I'm a huge fan of and then ultimately uh what will you sacrifice to save your friends um all of these themes and more are just given rich consideration again in a movie that's about a giant radioactive lizard that terrorizes Japan i i am still dumbstruck by how engrossed i was by this movie um so much so and, and i i remember this being a concern with uh with my buddy the the one who came with me to the mexican restaurant to watch the uh, part of the seahawks game going into it we we didn't even know whether it was uh dubbed english language or if it was japanese language with uh with subtitles turns out all Japanese language, English subtitles. But I was so engrossed that I forgot that I was reading English subtitles and that I was listening to the movie with dialogue entirely in Japanese. I was so um, I was so immersed in the world of the movie that I didn't even notice, and that's um, that's huge for me. But. Um, I, I can't believe I've been talking for this long and I haven't even mentioned the one thing even more so than the, the humanity and the characterization, the thing that Godzilla minus one does and something I don't know if I've ever seen in one of these movies before it makes Godzilla scary. This is this is a Godzilla that is mean and angry and powerful. Uh the uh the creature design, uh creature character design is is terrifyingly realistic. Um it, it presents Godzilla as like this towering beast. He's got like piercing eyes that that don't look silly. Um he's got like a, this this thick radiation scorched hide um we are so far removed from the the friendly more heroic uh godzilla of godzilla versus megalon um again this iteration of godzilla he he is driven by by ferocious rage and and he is he is angry and it's um it, it is such a cool take on the character like there there is a a sequence towards the beginning of the movie and the 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 movie opens strong um it gives you um this uh i i guess you would call it like a prelude of sorts where you see uh Godzilla in a form that is different than how he's presented later in the movie and it's terrifying. It 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 um it takes bits from Jurassic Park, um, just the the speed and 
and the the viciousness of how Godzilla just just wipes out these fools on this island. It's again, it, it's genuinely scary, and it's it's been a while since I've watched a monster movie where the monster isn't presented as either a joke or as a superhero. I think that's kind of the the deal with them legendary movies is that, you know, both Godzilla and Kong uh, separately and together are kind of it's through the superhero lens, through the shared cinematic universe lens. So it was cool to see Godzilla as an unambiguous antagonist to just see his entire motivation to just be unfettered rage. Um, one of the coolest special effects I, I've seen in a long time is uh, Godzilla charging up for his heat breath. Like, you know, um, you know, we've seen the heat ray represented in, in so many other iterations, but this has like a, like a, um, like a scary kind of Cronenberg body horror aspect to it. Like, you know, he starts to, you know, uh, his back starts to glow kind of like a tealish green, um, a real Baja blast, um, aesthetic, but like, you know, his, his gnarly spines start to jut out and they do so in sequence. Like it's charging up. It's like, bup, 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 uh, which, which I thought was a really cool thing. But then when he unleashes the heat ray, it's it's presented as not just like something that's that's quote unquote cool. It's shown to be as something that's horrifying and terrible and scary. Um, one of like I I, th- I think it's shown like either in a trailer or a screenshot or something. So um, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but like one of the goddamn coolest things I saw in the movie is that. Godzilla's heat ray is so dangerous that after he unleashes it, Godzilla's own uh, uh, face and body are burned. And uh, and I just thought that that was such a a cool kind of like, I don't know, kind of like Marvel X-Men kind of take like, you know, he has like this awesome, terrifying power, but it also hurts him and injures him. So it's like I I like that you know it, it it's it's the thing I talk about with like you know Wolverine popping out his claws. It's like you know uh, does it hurt every time that kind of thing, and that that's kind of how I felt about um, uh, the use of Godzilla's heat ray here. There there's a a genuine sense of dread, like true dread, whenever Godzilla is on screen. There, there's atmosphere and there's tension. Um, the the attacks are are terrifying, and but there there's also I I would also say though that there's a deftness of tone, um, a tone in the movie that keeps it from being dour and joyless. Like like I think if if you haven't seen the movie or you haven't seen a trailer and have no context for what I'm talking about, it might sound like I'm describing Zack Snyder's Godzilla. And it isn't. Um, the The movie is actually quite a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's light on its feet at times. Um, th- there's moments of levity 
and humor and all of that is driven by the by the human characters at no time is Godzilla presented to be a joke he's always paid the due and respect and reverence that that a terrifying figure um of of Godzilla um deserves but yeah i mean there there's 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 a lot of jokes i mean we're not quite at marvel level here but there's there, there's levity, and that, and that's what you need to make good drama. That this, this is a human drama. Um, I think, I, I don't know if this is a fun moment or not. Um, but, but it was certainly a crowd pleasing moment. Um, this movie earns every bit of fan service that it treads on. Like there, there is a a scene in the movie where Godzilla is about to um, attack a city, and the and it's kind of the the culmination of a lot of tension. Like, are we going to stop Godzilla? Oh no, we can't got stop Godzilla. Oh no, Godzilla is coming. Um, oh no, Godzilla is here. And then there, there's this moment right before the horror. And then suddenly the, uh, the iconic Godzilla theme kicks in. time where a musical cue has been more earned this is like i don't know halfway through the movie and it it kind of feels like i don't know one of those sort of uh superhero origin movies where it's like in batman begins you realize that an entire hour of movie has happened and you don't even see batman uh iron man the first it's almost an hour of runtime before uh you know he shows up fully formed as Iron Man and that's kind of the same thing here where you see Godzilla assert himself in his truest form and that music kicks in and it's so right and it, and it feels so earned as uh, as Godzilla is about to lay waste to this city it's it it's a terrific example of what i can point to of fan service being earned it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel gratuitous um and and it doesn't feel like it's unearned um but but since i kind of evoked that that music cue um the score is incredible um the the soundtrack for the for this movie is um it is just great. Like I, I found, I found some of the tracks out on, on uh, YouTube. Um, but, um, apparently you can also import, uh, the score as well. So, um, so if you're able to do that, um, and you like this type of music, then yeah, I mean, I mean, again, score is incredible. Um, the special effects are stupendous given the movie's budget. And I want to make sure I have space in there because, um, it, it, it's interesting because like when the movie first came out, 
it was said that the movie cost $15 million. And that, and that was kind of like one of the narratives for the movie is like, oh, snap. Uh, you know, look what they did with a $15 million budget compared with what Marvel does with $200 million. Um, well, apparently in, in a tweet that I saw just today, apparently the uh, director of uh, Godzilla Minus One, Takahashi Yamazaki, uh, um, he's apparently denied reports that Godzilla Minus One had a $15 million budget saying, quote, I wish it were that much. Uh, implying that it was actually significantly less than fifteen, which uh, which makes that 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 accomplishment uh, so much more, uh, so much more uh, uh, remarkable. There are times that the uh, uh, the special effects don't quite hold up, um, and it's one of those things where where your brain kicks in and says, "Oh." Right, fifteen million dollar budget, and you overlook it because the this movie looks otherwise um amazing i I've already talked so much about the uh the creature effects um i I know there's some computer graphics in here, but the visual effects for Godzilla minus one, in my opinion, are so good that that um, Godzilla is either a guy in a suit, a a brilliantly well-designed suit that looks amazing, or it is a computer-generated character that is rendered and designed to behave like a guy in a suit. So when Godzilla is stomping around and lumbering around, um, it has that same weight and slowness of strength that you would expect from a, a small Japanese person in a ill-fitting, heavy rubber suit that can't move around very well. And somehow... In a computer-generated creature, they've managed to capture the authenticity of that without it being silly. Again, there is at no time that Godzilla is played for laughs or it, or is in any way um, silly. Again, Godzilla is dangerous, but like the thing that that really spoke to me that that um, I, I genuinely appreciated is how Godzilla looks. Uh, uh, when he moved, uh, in my opinion, um, aside from like a, a, a couple bits of, um, uh, I, I, I'm reluctant to say poorly rendered CGI, but like, as, as my buddy at the movie said, it's like, you know, maybe they could have taken another pass at it, you know, another couple passes, you know, spent like a couple more dollars on those particular shots. But for my taste, um, I think that Godzilla minus one, even in its form now, looks better than a lot of the Marvel TV shows uh, that are on the Disney Plus with far larger budgets. Um, this movie brilliantly conveys the sense of scale and scope and spectacle, and it's all there through creative filmmaking, like making wise choices, good camera angles, knowing the 
the extent and depth and breadth of your effects budget. Again, good filmmaking as opposed to just throwing money at the screen. Like I, I think how a movie like the Marvels ends up costing $200 million is like, you know, old man Disney is, is just got like fistfuls of cash and is just, just throwing it, just, just throwing it uh, rather than being uh, creative in this era of mega budget movies. I miss the creativity and innovation of filmmaking that comes from limitations uh, at, at a time where we've seen Thanos come to life and any number of other fantastical Marvel super, superheroes, um, when nothing is impossible, nothing is special. And I think that's what makes Godzilla minus one uh, special for me is what they were able to accomplish through just grit skill and creativity um uh, it's it's a masterpiece and it, and it's a surprising masterpiece um i i've heard rumblings that this is the best godzilla movie ever um i personally have not consumed enough godzilla content to be able to make that judgment but what I can tell you is that Godzilla minus one is definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. This one really stuck with me. And like, you know, I, th there are just things that I just keep thinking about, about like, you know, some of like the, the heartbreaking lines of dialogue, um, you know, the, just the, the, the heart wrenching exchanges that, that some of these characters have as they're just trying to live their lives. You know, it's, it's interesting with these types of movies because there there are entire stretches of the movie where Godzilla is just not there. Um, and you are with these human characters, but you don't care and you don't notice because the character work is done to where you throw in with them and and you you care about them. You're you're invested uh in them and to the point where when Godzilla comes back, it's like, oh, shoot, Godzilla's still in this movie. Oh, that's right. This is still a Godzilla movie. Oh, my God. Because there is still kind of like a uh, overarching, overreaching uh, premise of like, oh, my God, what do we do about this Godzilla? So it's, um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of cool uh, stuff there. So, um it's it's definitely a huge recommend from me. Um, you know, uh, go see it. Go see it on the biggest screen that you can. Um, it is playing in IMAX in several theaters. And I would recommend that that you bring a group of friends. You know, have have a rowdy good time as uh, as me and my friends did. Like I said, there were there there were four of us, and that was just right. And you know, we're we're like, you know, um, respectfully politely but cheering and being like animated and stuff it's like yes yes so yeah it's uh, uh again i i thought I, I i thought it was terrific so um before i close out here uh for this uh this next chunk of the show i, ca I kind of want to talk some numbers and kind of talk about um the the roller coaster 
that I kind of went on to get this episode in production because there was a version of this where um, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. Um, so I, I get out of the, the, the screening on uh, Thursday night and I am buzzing uh, both uh, figuratively and literally like I, I probably didn't need to order the 24 ounce can of Corona. I, I didn't realize it was that large. I thought maybe it was like a 22 or a 16. And uh, when uh, when when the nice fella brings me a, a actual uh, barrel of uh, of Corona, uh, my my friends at work teased me later. It's like, oh, yeah. And Mike had to go to the bathroom like four times. Uh, so, yeah, I, I went like four times in a two hour movie. Um yeah, so so when I say make good choices, that that's that that that's probably not on uh, on that list. But um, so I I was immediately uh, interested in wanting to talk about it, but then like the opportunity kind of kind of slipped away. It was too late at night. I mean, like our, our showing didn't start till eight. The movie's just over two hours, and then I mean, like I don't think I got home until after. Oh God. Oh, that's right. Because we stopped and got more drinks after I totally forgot. It was uh, it was well after midnight by the time I got home and was uh, uh, not in a a place uh, figuratively and literally where I could record podcasts. I got super busy on Friday. Uh, the weekend comes, and I'm eager to talk about. I had talked about it at work. Um, in fact, there there's a a text uh, version of my interview on my uh, Facebook page. I shared it on my first personal Facebook page. Cause you know, I wrote something uh, for work um, that that's how much I, I, I enjoyed this movie and want to talk about it. It's like, I actually wrote an article for my works website to, to put that up. But anyway, I, so, so I'm kind of following the saga of Godzilla minus one. The, the, uh, the movie comes out over the weekend. It's number three at the box office uh, taking in, um, uh, Eleven million dollars uh, domestically, um, and then adding uh, another twenty-three million uh, internationally, giving it a worldwide gross of uh, uh, just uh, just under uh, thirty-five million dollars in its opening weekend. Um, you know, pretty impressive. It opened um, behind o- behind only uh, the Beyonce movie which opened and then uh the Hunger Games sequel prequel whatever that movie is uh in its in its second week on half as many screens and brought in um nearly the same amount of uh box office gross so th- this thing this thing was a hit you know it's uh it's a hit critically and it's a a hit financially um and I I am ready to be evangelical about Godzilla minus one. Then I realized something. I uh, um, apparently, I did not realize this at the time, that the uh, theatrical window for Godzilla minus one was only going to go through uh, December 8th, which as I'm looking at my calendar and my available recording times, it's like, well, shoot, by the time I record this podcast, edit it, and put it out, it will be past the 8th. Um, and why would I want to be so 
uh, evangelical about a movie that nobody can see. Um, but then the, uh, you know, kind of, kind of news was kind of crackling, uh, throughout the week about, um, uh, more screenings being added and more, uh, that, that the theatrical window was being, um, extended. And so, uh, so some really good news there. Um, so, um, I want to share a couple things with you. This is, this is from Gizmodo. Uh, Godzilla Minus One is now the biggest live-action Japanese film in U.S. box office history. Uh, the King of All Kaiju is not just the biggest foreign debut at the American box office, but is the star of the biggest live-action Japanese film. Uh, Godzilla Minus One's critical and public acclaim has skyrocketed it to the box office heights, heights so worthy of such a titanic being that Toho has had to dash its plan to bring the film's theatrical run to an end and extend screenings. But now the king of all monsters is now also the king of live action Japanese cinema in the U.S. to boot. Now having brought in $14.36 million at the American box office, uh, almost the entirety of the film's production budget and bringing its worldwide total to approximately $41 million, uh, Toho has confirmed uh, via deadline that Minus One is now the most successful live-action Japanese film in U.S. box office history. It's an unprecedented success. The article continues so unprecedented that Toho has had to announce it's actually expanding screenings for the film, originally set to begin bowing out of theaters this week. Minus One will stick around for at least a second weekend in the U.S. and actually expanding its availability from 2,300 screens to 2,540. Now, that's an expansion of only 200 screens, but looking at just my local showtimes, there, there's so many more showtimes that have been added as well. So it's not just screens, it's also uh, more times as well. So that's uh, so that that's just big, big news. So now I'm at a spot where I can talk about how excited I am about Minus One because there's going to be at least another week uh for you to uh to be able to see it i think the um the run is going to go through um at least uh december 14th that's as far as documented show times go but i really love this uh th- this tweet from uh the godzilla official channel um at Godzilla underscore Toho Godzilla minus one isn't going anywhere exclamation point. In fact, the film will be playing on even more North American screens this coming weekend, increasing to over 2,500 locations in the U S and Canada starting December 8th. As long as people are attending showtimes will continue. So get your tickets and spread the word exclamation point. Godzilla minus one is still now playing nationwide so yeah man so so that's awesome so again if you if you're listening to this um and, and you you hear me being enthusiastic about it I, I have a couple more items i want to read and share with you as well but um yeah man i mean go see it it's a uh, it's terrific grab your friends and it makes a uh, makes for a really good time um i i also want to talk about uh because i think i kind of skipped around 
uh, before, but I wanted to I wanted to touch on uh, the the story of what I thought this movie was versus what it actually is. So uh, from this uh, IGN article I have in front of me that um, uh, that talked about the expanding uh, screens and showings. Uh, Godzilla minus one is the first live action Godzilla movie from Japanese production and distribution company Toho since 2016. Um, and incidentally, one of the coolest things that the, it's it's kind of I, I don't know, like a warm glass of milk or a warm blanket or, or, you know, a chewy we're home type of thing. Seeing the Toho logo um, up there, you know, with that that that, you know, color starburst up there. It's like I, you know, again, I, I'm not a student of the Godzilla franchise, but I know what the Toho uh, logo looks like. So that that's, so I thought, I thought that was pretty dope to see that on, uh, on the big screen. But um, in this write up, it says it takes Godzilla back to the characters post world war two origin as the monster strikes out on a roaring rampage of destruction and devastation in Japan, plunging the country from quote zero to minus. And um, that leads me into what the actual meaning of the the titular minus one in Godzilla minus one is and and what I thought it meant so basically one one of the themes that the the that the movie presents and and doesn't shy away from is the uh, melancholy and depression and sense of defeat of the Japanese people after. Uh, the events of World War II. Uh, the, the, these are folks that are, um, you know, in in declining economy as their as their homes have been destroyed, and there's there's not a lot to be excited about. And the the movie posits that like you know they're at their lowest point, they're at zero, and then Godzilla shows up. And then that's that's the titular minus one is like, you know, they're at zero and uh, and it's like, well, well, what else is it going to be? Um, so but with that, I would like to talk about what I thought minus one meant. And this started to crystallize as I was watching the movie, um, because, again, I didn't know what the movie was. But as I'm watching it, I, I see this uh, title card that says, you know, celebrating uh, 70 years of Godzilla, um, 70th anniversary uh, celebration. And the movie opens up with a a uh, failed kamikaze pilot who lands on this uh, repair island to uh, get his plane fixed with this uh, w- with this crew of uh, technicians and that night we we meet Godzilla for the first time and he's in a form that um is not how he is later in the movie and this um this pilot has the opportunity to stop Godzilla, or at least that's that's the way the story is presented. It's like you you know you you have got to stop this monster, and he freezes. He's a coward, and um, 
and and the lizard gets away. And um, I as this harrowing sequence is happening. I'm like, wait a second, minus one. This isn't a reimagining or reboot or a remake. It's a prequel. And this was a theory I kind of hung on to as I was watching the movie, because even as it kind of starts to go parallel to Godzilla 1954, it doesn't specifically contradict um, uh, Godzilla 1954. What I thought this movie was going to do as like a prequel, because it takes place from uh, 1945 through 1947 and knowing that Godzilla 1954 took place in, you know, the present, which would have been 1954 of, of that movie's present that wait a second, this movie is going to lay the track for what will happen in Godzilla 1954 spoilers. That is not what happens at all. Basically the, this movie, as, as I said earlier, just kind of, recontextualizes, reinterprets, and represents some of those familiar um, events, but from like completely different points of view, and uh, and and in some cases doing some very different stuff uh, with it. But so what I thought the titular minus one meant is that it's um, like I, I remember uh, Marvel did. Uh, minus one comics to where it was like, you know, you've heard of like comic book zero issues, right? You know, either um, before an issue one comes out or retroactively stories set before issue one or, or like back in the nineties when DC did zero hour, tried to reboot their universe and started every um, comic from zero. Um, but anyway, um, I remembered these Marvel comics that were like minus one and it was, uh, they, they were all prequels. It was like, you know, what was the story that happened right before issue one? Uh, that kind of thing. That's what I thought this was. I thought minus one was, uh, what was a prequel to Godzilla 1954. Now, if you've seen the movie and if you are a huge Godzilla fan, please laugh at me and make fun of me in the, in the comments. But like that was, um, even, even I, I hung on to this theory. I'm not going to spoil the end, but I hung on to this theory even at the end of the movie. And when the end, when the movie ends the way that it does, I was like, oh, well, yeah. So th this is just going to walk right up to the door of Godzilla 1954. That, that is, <laughs> that is not the case at all. So, um, so anyway, I just, I, I just thought I would, um. Uh, share some of that. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but but popping back to the the box office a little bit, I apologize for bouncing around. I'm just kind of um, uh, a little scatterbrained in 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 my excitement here. But um, the other thing that was that, that I thought was very interesting with regards to the box office uh, for Godzilla minus one is that it continued to increase during the week. Like I shared some screenshots on my socials from box office mojo where it's like, so in its opening weekend, it opened third to hundred hunger games and Beyonce on Monday, 
on the day to day, it eclipsed uh, hunger, hunger Games and then made like a million dollars more on Tuesday, increasing its, its uh, box office gross during the week. So what that tells me is that people are going to see this movie. It's, it's probably uh, tech bros um, or like folks doing exactly what I did and taking their friends and going after work. Um, so it's it's probably a lot of like nighttime screenings, which I think is pretty cool. And I don't know if I've seen something like that before where like box office uh, ticket sales tick up during the week. I, I've, um, you know, as an adult, I've kind of lost my taste for uh, really being super invested in things like uh, box office gross and awards consideration and uh and things of that nature. Um, I mean, I remember I was a kid, uh, you know, like staying up to watch the Academy Awards or whatever to see, you know, if uh, if any of my fa- if any of my favorite movies that year would win any awards, and was always kind of disappointed when they would only win like technical awards and things like that. But uh, but speaking of the Academy Awards, I uh, um, this just came out from uh, Variety the other day. Um, about uh, the 20 uh, Oscar visual effects finalists. Apparently the top 20 finalists for the visual effects Oscar Academy Award have been uh, notified. They have made it to the next round of voting with Oscar shortlist voting opening in eight categories on Thursday, December 14th. Variety has learned uh, exclusively that the visual effects uh, finalists include uh, Greta Gerwig's uh, Barbie and Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon colon part one dash a child of fire and the lone animated feature contender Spider-Man across the universe. Uh, the Academy declined to confirm the final list of 20 movies. The 20 movies will go on to the next round of voting, which will occur December 14th to the 18th. Ten films will then be named on December 21st along with nine other categories. The five nominees will be determined after the January um, 11th through 16th voting with the noms announced on January 23rd in all categories. That is a lot to digest, but basically there's a list of 20 movies that have been announced as contenders for best visual effects and I I have I I have questions but I don't want to dwell. Um but I I have I, I see things that make sense and I see things that confound me. Uh primarily it's uh it, it's movies that haven't come out yet like like Wonka, you know, for um you know, for domestic audiences but um I I I got a um I got a really cool uh response from my friend Lita um who you is part of the Hollywood machine um I uh I I tweeted this out and I said what even is this list movies that haven't come out yet and an animated movie exclamation point question mark uh so Lita wrote me back not entirely abnormal actually exclamation point Oscar submission deadline was mid November and shortlist. I believe are announced in two weeks. Official noms are early January. They also send out screeners 
ahead of time for review. So while the public hasn't seen them, the Oscar voters have. And as somebody that um, get, gets the opportunity to see press screenings, I, I should know better. But I don't know. It just it just kind of put me off when when I see things like Wonka. Well, actually, I'll, I'll just read through this list. Um, you got Wonka, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, Society of the Snow. That's a Netflix movie I've never heard of. Rebel Moon Part One, A Child of Fire from Netflix. That's the that's the Zack Snyder movie. Uh, Poor Things, uh, Nyad, uh, Napoleon, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, The Marvels, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, The Creator, The Boys in the Boat. Uh, that's the uh, George Clooney directed uh, crewing movie um, uh, about boys in a boat and they row. Um, Barbie, Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantumania, and Godzilla Minus One. So I went through all of this just to say that Godzilla Minus One is on the long list of top 20 finalists for best special effects of the year. Um, I don't think it has a shot because while I think the effects are good, in fact, I would even say great. I don't think they're particularly groundbreaking. And I don't think that this is the category for it to compete with the Disney Marvel machine. Now of these, what do I think deserves it? I really don't know. Um, I would like to say the creator uh, because I really like that movie. Um, I was having a, a Twitter discussion with Matt Ferguson. Um, he he's also in a big advocate of the the creator as well. And I, I swear he and I are the only two people on this planet that love that movie. But he thinks it's going to go to Barbie. And while I think Barbie is a uh, an accomplishment and a feat in a number of different categories. Um, especially production design, obviously costumes, probably hair and makeup, or basically like a bunch of other technical categories. I don't think visual effects is one of them. I think, I think where, where Barbie, I mean, like, I think you're uh, confusing uh, production design and cinematography with visual effects. It's, it's not an effects heavy movie. Now, what do I think should get it? I don't know. Um, because you, you have some real stinkers on this list. You, you got that, that quantum mania, which, which is wretched. And the, the effects are terrible. Indiana Jones, terrible. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would give a nod to mission impossible, but that's only because I like that movie. Um, uh, transformers. No, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think the effects are as good as the other live action Transformers movie, but the the one that really kind of sticks in my craw is uh, Spider-Man Across the the Spider-Verse. It's an animated movie. Now, are are we saying that all animated movies are now visual effects? I I don't I don't understand. Uh, but also, I just want to throw this out there too, since I'm reading from this Variety article. To be expected, there were a handful of snubs with Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer being the most prominent, albeit the film's heavy use of practical effects. And again, that that kind of what constitutes a visual effect. Um, 
does a movie that is primarily uh, practical effects and is almost anti-computer effects? Does that compute? Does that compete with the Guardians of the Galaxy? Um, I think so. Uh, but other notable omissions include the Blue Beetle, the Little Mermaid, the Flash, the Meg Two, the Ferrari, and the Shazam: The Fury of the Gods. So, um, and not a goddamn one of those uh, uh, deserves it. Um, so, anyway, so so again, very long story short. Uh, Godzilla minus one is in that list, and that's uh, that's particularly um, exciting. Um, handful of other things. Um, there, there, there was a there was a terrific article, and I saw this like I think this was posted Friday morning after I had uh, um, waken up with my hangover. Uh, one of the first reviews I saw. Um, and I, I'm just going to read from you a couple excerpts uh, real quick. Uh, review Godzilla Minus One is one of 2023's greatest films. This from uh, Mark Hughes. And he uh, he brought up um, a lot of really good points that I just kind of wanted to touch on here uh, uh, briefly. Um, uh, the original Godzilla in 1954 remains a masterpiece of foundational science fiction cinema and horror cinema responsible for creating the kaiju Genre in a film with deep social and historic themes and strong characterization applied to what could have been a silly B-movie story. Emotionally, few sci-fi films of the era compared to the shockingly personal, painful relevance and resonance of 1954's Godzilla. Proximity to the events of World War II lend it an immediacy that permeates every scene. The complex messages and cultural mea culpa combining with the overwhelming weight of grief, loss, and sense of moral certainty about the dangers and evils of nuclear weapons and of nuclear power. Sequel spinoffs and related film projects have come and gone, but the original Godzilla retained a dignity and power few of its predecessors could come close to matching and certainly could not surpass. Until now. Godzilla Minus One is essentially a remake of the 1954 Godzilla with inspiration, particularly in its first and third acts from Godzilla, Mothra and King Ghidorah, colon, giant monsters all out attack. But while the film borrows the basic story structure and certain themes from the films, it does bring a great deal of original storytelling and characterization to the table while improving upon those inspirational elements from other films. There's an almost matter-of-factness to the depiction of Godzilla's emergence and actions with far less posturing buildup or overstated disaster film visualization, including quote-unquote 9-11 dust and entirely CGI extended sequences. Here, almost everything except the monster is real, and Godzilla is inserted into the footage in ways to structure his appearance as consistent with the footage rather than the reverse, which is how most other films seem to approach such sequences of the character's destructive appearance. The scenes in the ocean, for example, are less crowded or excessive than similar ocean-based sequences in other God modern Godzilla movies, including Hollywood's, but look like footage of an actual kaiju attack on the Japanese Navy. Underwater, Godzilla moves swiftly and is agile compared to on land where he's heavy and encumbered by his own massive weight. 
This creates nice distinctions between the various attack scenes. And when Godzilla does move onto land and unleashes his atomic breath, the effect is mind-blowing and unparalleled in giant monster cinema. It's chilling and shocking to witness. Importantly, none of this is ever disaster porn, and it's not intended to thrill or excite us. It's meant to terrify, to disgust, to bring us to tears, and it does, not just because of the sheer immersive magnitude and human toll we are forced to witness, but also how the film ties every such event directly into the lives and stories of the characters. The article goes on to praise the director, Yamazaki, uh, says it's Yamazaki's film through and through, and he weaves his various inspirations and homages into something that is entirely new and masterful, a vision of one of Japan's greatest cinematic stories, as well as the nation's collective memory, history, and conflicted feelings about honor, sacrifice, guilt, redemption, and the beauty of life, even amidst tremendous loss and suffering. We must live. We must choose to live and to believe and to feel even when we want nothing more than to stop feeling anything at all, because that is the only way to honor those we've lost and to make something better of this world than merely the dust and debris left in our wake. And I think that is a, a beautiful and profound review of a beautiful and profound uh, movie. That's, uh, you know, I generally don't read this much, but like, you know, it, it, it's interesting that like, um, so I, I found this to be the most reflective mirror, uh, most uh, representative of how I felt about the movie. Um, so I thought I would uh, share somebody, share the words of somebody a little more uh, eloquent than, than myself. Um, I mentioned that this movie opened against the Beyonce movie. And I mentioned that uh, my memories of, uh, auditorium one at the at the cinnabar there um the beyonce movie was in theater number one we were in theater number two and it was delightfully awkward when um there there are times when godzilla minus one gets very quiet and very intimate and uh and you just hear beyonce just rattling through the walls next door it's so funny. It, it would be, um, I, I remember one of the Barbenheimer memes uh, over the summer was like, you know, you're, you're just trying to watch this, uh, this Barbie movie while there, while there's a Oppenheimer uh, going on next door. So um, I thought that was funny, but um, one of the, the, the other things that, that I thought was kind of interesting in the wake of Godzilla minus one success I do not know if this is a coincidence or not, but uh, last week in the throes of Godzilla minus one success, suddenly we get a trailer drop for the latest entry in the uh, legendary pictures, uh, so-called MonsterVerse. It's a little movie called Godzilla X Kong colon the new empire. And it's so interesting i cannot i i don't know this is like the most american thing that i can think of ever um i i the trailer is gonzo it's bonkers it's over the top uh godzilla times kong 
is everything that Godzilla minus one isn't. It's loud. It's bombastic. Um, you could practically feel the new metal uh, uh, permeating through it. But like this, um, th- uh, this cracked me up. I saw this on Twitter. Um, uh, it- it's a screenshot of the uh, closing hero shot of Godzilla and Kong working together. You know, Godzilla's full of like neon uh, atomic breath and uh, Godzilla or, or uh, King Kong has some kind of kind of armor. Uh, and, and this kind of this this kind of uh, uh, compares and contrasts the two movies. So the tweet reads Godzilla minus one colon. What does it mean to live? What does it mean to survive when so many others have died? The war is over, but is it for you, even with the help of all those around you? Can your demons truly be conquered? Godzilla X Kong, colon, give the monkey the infinity gauntlet. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just I, I just thought that that was the uh, um, uh, best way to kind of kind of show that. Um, uh, another tweet, and if I, I already kind of addressed this in the in the article, but since I had the tweet pulled up, uh, the boat chase in Godzilla minus one is so tense, so terrifying, and honestly, it's sort of unreal that nobody has hit upon and executed this concept in previous Godzilla movies. The sort of thing that feels obvious in hindsight, but took seventy years to actually see. Great stuff, and. And I um, I couldn't get out of my way earlier, but like the scenes where Godzilla is in the water, it is such a cool contrast where on land, you know, he, he's he's lumbering and he's slow and and, the, and there's an inherent clumsiness there. Whereas you get him in the water, he's fast and nimble. And and it, it was it was really cool to see that um, to the see that that juxtaposition. Um, another tweet, people are going to talk about Godzilla's minus, Godzilla minus one's amazing production and filmmaking, but what surprised me the most was the script. Every character has an arc and serves a purpose, and there are no wasted beats. Also, a perfect use of using the monster as a greater metaphor. And I talk about this a lot with Michael Andrews on Two Mics Too Furious, but the the entire trope and bit of nothing is wasted and everything comes back around I was surprised pleasantly by how tight the screenplay is, how much like moments earlier in the movie pay off in big, bad ways. And and the thing that's also interesting to note is the movie does fall into cliches and old tropes and can be kind of cheesy at times. But I also feel that it is doing so from a self-aware standpoint and also from a place of reverence. Like when some of the fates of the human characters might seem kind of cheesy at first blush, when you think about it, in my opinion, it's really a homage to the trope without making fun of it and without subverting expectations. And I think at a time where we've had so many expectations subverted, uh, sometimes I think it's okay to just kind of 
do the obvious choice and the more um, uh, straightforward thing. And, you know, I, I could see that my notes are completely out of order. I probably could have shuffled the deck a little better, but I, I did have one last tweet I wanted to read here. Uh, this uh, this is about um, uh, Godzilla minus one director Takashi Yamazaki on the difference between the Hollywood Godzilla and the Japanese Godzilla. Quote, the point of international Godzilla is that he's a really powerful monster, but a Japanese Godzilla is halfway a godlike creature in many ways, Yamazaki explains. Quote, not necessarily a religious god, but more like a Japanese god, a malevolent and destructive one. He's a metaphor for nuclear weapons, war. You could view him as COVID in this film. The nuclear power plant in Shin Godzilla and this metaphor for these incidents is important to a Japanese Godzilla like that. And that kind of um, uh, reminds me of something that I didn't know if I was going to bring up here, but I, I'm... Um, I still have it in my notes. Um, why does the political right like Godzilla so much? Um, there, there are so many uh, content creators, uh, particularly on YouTube, that you could you know, categorize as far right if you wanted to. But it, it seems that the overarching theme with those uh, creators, you know, it's a lot of a lot of geeks and gamers, folks. Um, a lot of comic skate folks and the it, it fascinates me the it feels like to them that Godzilla minus one is anti woke or anti message like there's one particular tweet from uh from uh neurotic um the message divides good stories, bring people together. And I saw a quote tweet from that um, responding, saying uh, famously apolitical movie uh, Sans message Godzilla minus one set in post-war Japan and starring a walking allegory to the hubris of nuclear powers. And and I saw, you know, similar uh, reviews like Doomcock said something about like Godzilla minus one is absolutely one of the greatest movies ever made and one of the best damn films I've seen in years. Woke free entertainment straight from the heart. And it, it reminds me of my uh, viewpoint of that side of uh, content creation or or even just, I don't know, political ideology in general. It's like I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, now I'm not. It's like that. It's it's a uh, no pun intended. It's a hard right turn that I can't follow. But I guess for me, the the, the confusion comes from uh, Godzilla when it's when it's at its core values. Uh, Godzilla is anti-government, uh, anti-military, anti-war, a you know an anti-nuclear proliferation. And and kind of like anti-establishment in a in a way like, you know, Godzilla is often uh, portrayed as a as an agent of uh, a chaos and anarchy, regardless of of what side of the heroic scale he's in, you know, whether he's a uh, anti-hero or a villain or or a straight up hero. Um, either way, cities are getting bashed. So. I don't know if I'm making my argument uh, completely well, but it, it's the 
the fetishization of Godzilla as a totem of anti-wokeism feels kind of weird to me. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I can understand comparing and contrasting that with uh, the Marvels. You know, that, that's, a, that's a $200 million flop of a movie, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. That's a, that, that's a problem for the Disney Corporation. And I will – part of what I'm saying here is that um, the thing that I'm so drawn to Godzilla Minus One for is its success – with its creativity, as I've already said, but like, um, yeah, th- this is a win for the little guy, but I don't know if it has a lot to say with regards to quote unquote, the agenda or quote unquote, the message or quote unquote, virtue signaling. Um, I sometimes lose track of what those things even are. Um, like I, I, I heard a, uh, review of the Marvels that said, well, well, it, it, it's not like it was pushing the agenda. I don't even know what that means, but it feels to me that Godzilla minus one does have, uh, themes that seem that without much deeper thought into it would seem to be contradictory to what these, uh, content creators on the, the so-called far right would be, would be into. I don't know. Uh, before we close out, I do want to give you a uh, recommendation uh, for the uh, latest episode of uh, Sofubi Sit Down. Uh, check out the Coffee and Kaiju Godzilla Minus One discussion review with just a bunch of Godzilla super fans uh, breaking it down. Uh, that is available on YouTube and it is hosted by um, obviously the Sofubiest of Samurais uh, from uh, Autopod Decepticast. Uh, fandom, I kind of popped in and out a little bit, um, and uh, and really liked what I was hearing. So now, now that I've recorded my episode, um, I can uh, uh, you know go and enjoy their episode. But um, I've been I've been really digging how um, how Brian has been kind of like tracking uh, like the daily grosses and, and celebrating those uh, those victories. I am uh, I I'm I'm so happy for. Uh, Godzilla fans to have something to be, um, uh, you know, uh, truly excited about. And I'll throw a link for that, uh, for that coffee and Kaiju uh, live stream video uh, in the, in the comments so that, that uh, you're able to uh, check it out there. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so finally, finally, before I leave, cause I, I think I'm getting close to, uh, eclipsing the total runtime for this, uh, what I thought was going to be a, a, a brief discussion. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me. It's been a while since we've hung out together on a, on Mike Seibert radio. So I'm just kind of like, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of stretching my legs and, and kind of feeling myself. It's a, it's pretty cool. So, um, so I want to talk about some of the other stuff I have going on and stuff that will be, uh, coming up, coming up in the, Near future, hopefully within the the next couple of weeks, certainly before the end of the year, um, I will share with you some excerpts of uh, World's fundraising live stream for Extra Life. Um, I jumped on with them in the middle of the li- middle of the night during Extra Life and brought some of my pod decks, 
And uh, some of the conversations that we had uh, were really fun. And, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. One of one of my very favorites uh, from that and really the the motivation for me wanting to go and, and pull some of the audio to share it here on Mike Seibert Radio is um, is cereal considered soup. So you can drop me what you think your answer is um, in the comments, and I, I'll share those when I when I share uh, those clips from uh, Extra Life. So that so that's coming up uh, soon on Mike Seibert Radio uh, over on Two Mikes Two Furious Animated Transformers. Uh, me and Michael Andrews are still currently on hiatus, uh, having wrapped up season one of Transformers Animated. Our coverage is all up um, and available for you to check out. However, if you have not yet, uh, go check out our live stream that we did on the Two Mikes, Two Furious YouTube channel where uh, where we celebrated Michael Andrews' birthday. It was it was a buck wild good time. Had so many people drop by, uh, Alpha Magnus uh, and uh, Aaron from APDC and, uh, and Apollo um and yeah it was it was just a really great time but that live stream was like five hours so i gotta figure out a way to kind of uh chop that up and uh divide it into a couple different podcasts to make it a little more uh consumable but in the meantime you can go to the youtube and watch the live stream video as it originally aired and then um two mics two furious animated transformers will return uh in the new year I don't know if it's going to be January or February. Um, I, I wouldn't think it would be any later than that um, because at a certain point we're going to start getting really itchy to get into season two where uh, the table has been set and now uh, it, it's time for Transformers Animated to really start to cook. Um, speaking of Transformers, I um, as of this recording, I don't know what the dates are for the release of this podcast, but I recently recorded with TFG one Mike and we did a review on his podcast of the Cybertronic Sprees uh, debut album, Transformers 1986, which is a cover album of the soundtrack for the Transformers, the movie from 1986. Um, so when that is available on the feeds, I will be sure and post it. Um, he has so many different podcasts and so many different feeds. I, I don't even know which sideshow it was on. But anyway, once once he publishes it, I will put that out. It was a really fun conversation about a really fun project that I <clears throat> politely uh, dominated the conversation because I was so excited to uh, to talk about that album, um, especially as a companion piece or a sequel, prequel, uh, reboot quill, I guess. Uh, of the podcast we did about the Cybertronic Spree's uh, album of original songs called Ravage. We did that back in August. Anyway, this this is kind of a follow-up to the album that preceded that. And finally, uh, speaking of uh, TFG1 Mike and the GeekCast uh, radio network, uh, both me and Michael Andrews, the, the titular two mics, we were a guest with T, TFG1 Mike, so we were three mics, three furious, and we joined um, uh, for an episode of the Studio 2009 podcast, uh, episode number 70, uh, on the movie Paycheck, the 
the John Woo, Philip K. Dick, Ben Affleck, uh, Uma Thurman movie that you probably don't remember, but should probably check out. It's a um, it was it was a really fun podcast. And in fact, we actually finished recording that tonight. I'm still at work. I'm on like hour four of talking into a microphone. So but like um, that episode won't be out for a while. Um, that is actually going to drop on Christmas Day on December 25th, which is the 20th anniversary of the movie Paycheck. And uh, um, so you'll want to um, celebrate that while while you're <laughs> gathering under the tree on Christmas morning. Anyway, that 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 is a really fun episode for a really fun movie. So I will urge you to check that out. So that's already hours of content that's kind of in the pipeline coming up. And then um, I would imagine um, I will be back in earnest with more Mike Seibert Radio and more uh, Two Mikes Too Furious in the near future. But that will do it for this episode. I want to thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me and listening to me and continuing to hang out with me as uh, as we get uh, closer to wrapping up uh, the year of 2023, which represents year number eight and uh and casting pods for me so um i am I'm, I'm uh grateful for uh for your friendship and for you listening and for uh hanging out with me and if you want to listen to mike cyber radio you can subscribe on apple podcast at your google podcast spotify tune in or wherever the hell else you listen to your podcast uh google podcast is going away i don't know when uh, folks seem to really like that Spotify. Um, I'm seeing some stats for both Mike Seibert Radio and Two Mike's Too Furious, and apparently a lot of people listen to the show on Spotify. I don't. I'm a I'm a Google Podcast guy, but I might have to switch after Google Podcasts uh, go away. Um, anyway, like, share, rate, and review the show. Let me know what you like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. My name is Mike. This has been Mike Seibert Radio. And until next time, tell all or one, choose to live and make good choices. Mike Seibert Radio is recorded in Seattle, Washington. Our original theme song is written and performed by Lucia Fasano. Get her music on all streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, including her groovy single, Habitable Planets. Check out her Instagram at Lucia underscore Fasano. Our closing theme is a nice place to visit by these young fools used with permission from Michael Geisler. Check out Michael's website, bytourmusic.com, for more music like it. Special thanks to Andy Lita for our logos and graphic design. He is at GoGoAndyRobo out on Twitter. Become a Mike Cybertronian and join the MSRP Friends and Fans Facebook group. And you can follow me on social media at Mike Cybert Radio on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out my YouTube channel for even more videos and subscribe so you never miss a show. And that is the home of the Mike Cybert Radio podcast live stream. Want to be a guest on the show? Send me an email, MikeCybertRadio at gmail.com.
Oh shoot, that's what that's what I forgot to mention. Am I am I still recording? Oh, okay, sweet. Um, so real quick, um, you know, I, I I talked about the the music cues earlier, and you get like this 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 bit of like you know the the opening uh, Godzilla thing. It's like blah 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 blah. You know, it's it just it just blasts and it's iconic. And then um, uh, later on in the movie, you know, I mentioned that that moment was earned, but there was another moment um, later when you get the other Godzilla theme, which I learned in my research is apparently meant to be like a theme for for like the the Japanese Navy and the quote unquote good guys and stuff. But like it's it has become such an earworm for me. It's, you know, it's the the less dreadful version of the of the Godzilla theme it's you know it's it's more uh jaunty it's a march you know it's like da 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 and anyway so my uh when we get out of the movies like i i am pumped and maybe a little drunk but also uh super pumped to the point where like it was such an earworm me and my buddies as we were coming out of the lobby into the parking lot it was raining but like it was so in my head and like i didn't realize i was doing it out loud i was i kept going da 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 and then my buddy starts doing it and then and then like we're in the parking lot getting rained on and like like beavis and butthead were just sitting there like da 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 anyway it's just it, it it's just one of those weird memories that that um um, I wanted to talk about so much that I almost didn't talk about it um, while I was recording the podcast. I had it in my notes somewhere, but it seems to have uh, uh, gotten lost. Uh, maybe because I was so excited to get Doomcock tweets or whatever the hell. Um, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Go see the movie. It rules. It rules.